0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So our topic for tonight is the purpose of man, part two. Part two, so obviously there was a part one, but most of you don't know that because you weren't here. That's what happens if you miss church. I'm <laughs> just, just joking again. You're welcome to go and catch that online. But just to quickly maybe recap that for us, because it's very important for us to understand. Otherwise we jump off into this works-based salvation where we have this feeling that we should do a lot of stuff for God so that He can be pleased with us. And Like we asked the question last week, what is the purpose of man? For those of you who weren't you? here, what, what, what is your purpose? What are you doing here? Why are we on this earth? What are we supposed to do? Like we said, a statement that sums it up quite well is this beautiful statement that we are called to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is our purpose, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And like we said, many times we focus on that first part of the statement when we are asked that question, specifically in church. Now sometimes we wish that when we ask questions in church, we could kind of flick a switch where you just didn't know you were in church. And it's not the pastor asking you, but someone at work, you know, coming to you and asking you that question because it influences the way we answer the question. But nonetheless, we jump to that first part. Glorifying God. Now we 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 we're here on this earth to to preach the gospel to the nations, to make disciples, to attend church, to go to small group. Now that is, that is the thing that we focus on. To be good stewards of what God has given us. To work well because we're supposed to do everything as unto the Lord. And that gives glory unto God. But very rarely does that second part form part of our answer. To enjoy God forever. I mean for those of us who, who, who focused on that part of the question. Who, who had that as part of their answer. To enjoy God. I am here to enjoy God forever. Now and in heaven. You know it's supposed to happen to both, both sides of eternity here on earth and in heaven and like we said those two statements aren't exclusive they actually go together as john piper says it so beautifully that god is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him the thing that gives god the most glory is if we are most satisfied in him like we said you know the prosperity gospel teaches us that we should go to people and say hey man look what god has given me this God, this house, this finances, and, and man, I'm, I'm healthy always. Isn't God a great means to an end? And that doesn't give God glory. But when we say everything is not as it should be, in fact, life is crumbling down. My health is not where it's supposed to be. Finances, wealth, possessions, it's, it's, it's not what I find the light in, but God himself is all satisfying. That gives glory unto God. Like we said as well that whatever we enjoy in life, we inevitably praise We inevitably praise that I Mean more people spoke about Springbok rugby last Sunday than this Sunday because we didn't enjoy it that much Nobody's gonna go tell you man. You must watch the game Don't watch it. Don't look But we praise what we enjoy Like we said, you know, we see this in every area of life, specifically me with songs, and my poor wife being the victim. If there's this song, man, that's just so inspiring and it's so meaningful and it just moves you, then my poor wife also has to listen. Stop everything, listen to the song. And we get frustrated when people don't enjoy it as much as we did. If it doesn't mean as much to them. And the same thing is true about God, when we delight in God, when we enjoy God, we want other people to praise God as well, to find that, the light as well and very important for us to know that that is the primary purpose of the gospel to reconcile us to God not to get us saved so that we can do stuff for God God didn't save us so that we can go you know like a Norse God theology so that the people can serve the gods and keep them happy It's, it's not what it means like we said this beautiful picture in Exodus 19 where God says to the Israelites that's why they stop in the desert not at the promised land Because the promised land is not the main goal. That is a secondary purpose, but they're there to worship God. Let my people go so that they can serve me, so that they can worship me. And God says, look how I brought you out on eagle's wings to myself. The primary purpose why we are saved is to be with God. And he delights in us simply being with him before we do stuff for him. He delights in that. Enjoys us as we enjoy him. Beautiful thing to remember. But then out of that place, flows a lot of secondary things. But important to, to keep that as the main focus, to simply be with God as stuff inevitably flows out. And those things are like we said, You know, we many times ask the questions, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Because we're in that space where we're enjoying the presence of God and we wanna know man, how can I give glory unto God? How can I go and represent him to this world? What would Jesus do? And to ask the question, we need to know, what did Jesus do? Because what he did do is what he would do. Amen. And primarily three things like I'm beautifully summarized when speaking about the church. The purpose of the church threefold. These are the three things Jesus did as well. To minister to God. Spend hours in prayer, secluded time with the Father. Ministering unto God. Simply being with the Father. Like we said, ministry unto God doesn't mean we do stuff for God so that he does stuff for us. It simply means enjoying God as he enjoys us. Beautiful. Secondly, Jesus ministered to believers. We are called to minister to believers and also to minister to the world. If that is the purpose of the church and we are the church, then this is our purpose. This is what we are called to do in life. And like we said, point number two and three inevitably flows from point number one. We cannot say, man, I'm not that discipleship type of Christian, or that evangelizing type of Christian. I'm more just the, the quiet time type of Christian, where I just spend time with God. That is being deceived inevitably because it flows out into those other two things. As we enjoy God, man, you won't believe what I read this morning. This thing that I discovered about God or how God has led me in this area or how he has done whatever the case might have been, testimony unto God. We share it with those around us and we share it with the world. It inevitably flows out. This point number two, we're called to do this. And there's two points to this, and I want to focus a little bit about this tonight. Firstly, is being discipled and discipling others. That is what it means to minister unto believers. To submit ourselves to a process of being formed by Jesus and his people, to be a disciple, and also to make the disciples. And I want to ask us so that we can do a little bit of introspection. How much of this do you see in your life? How much of this do you see in your life? Both those two things, being discipled and discipling others. How often does it happen? How regularly does it happen? Where does it happen? With whom does it happen? How much of this do you see in your life? Because we have to know, you know if we say no, we find with point number one, but we don't really wanna do two and three. We don't wanna be discipled, and there are people like that. I believe in Jesus, but I don't wanna be discipled, mental ascent, not not real true faith following Christ. But people that say they believe in God, but they don't wanna be discipled, and they're not gonna make disciples of other people, and they're not gonna preach the gospel to the world. You know what we're saying if we do that? That we are the center of the gospel. The gospel is actually about us, and we're saved now so everybody can relax. We're waiting for Jesus to come back, I'm saved, relax, everything's cool. Jesus will come back one day, but we are not the center of the gospel. It's not about us. It is about God. And luckily throughout the ages, people knew that the gospel is not about us. As they they continue to follow God, to be discipled and to disciple others. And here we still sit receiving the gospel and being encouraged to spread the gospel into this world. But we are called to do this. And I remember once I was speaking to an old school friend and I asked him the question, would you say that you are a Christian? And I haven't even finished asking the question yet, and immediately the answer came yes. Because he was white and he spoke Afrikaans. Then he was a Christian. That's many times how we think in our traditional Christian culture. But I haven't even finished asking the question, yes. Definitely a Christian. And I asked him a second question, okay, but would you say you were a disciple? And he paused for a while and he said, No. No, he wouldn't say he's a disciple. And obviously I'm asking the question, but what, what do you say the difference is between being a Christian and a disciple? And basically, these disciple people, they those who take it a little bit too far. They don't know that there's a time and place for everything. You'll someone be at the bar and they want to speak about Jesus. They don't even know that that's not the time nor the place to speak about Christ. Those weird people that irritate you. me. Nee? Not these Christians that just simply believe. Mentalist like any spoke about. The gospel according to Ephesians. But what does it mean by faith alone? Not lawlessness. Explaining that so beautifully. But a lot of people actually believe that. You know? And what it comes down to is these disciple people. They really want to follow God. They really want to know their Bibles. They, they really want to reach the world. They're not just saying it. They're actually doing it. You know, if it boils down to, to the answer. That's basically what it came down to. And then I asked him another question, okay, but would you say in light of that that you're going to heaven? And he said, no. He doesn't think so. He's uncertain. Change. and So here we have this interesting thing, a Christian that is not a disciple and he doesn't know if he's going to heaven. That is interesting. But it's better than a Christian who knows that he's not a disciple and still thinks he's going to heaven. It's at least better than that. Because that is definitely not the case. And not that it's a works-based salvation, but because we are saved, we obey. Because God loves and accepts us, therefore we obey. Not that we earn it. But it's supposed to be in our lives. A discipleship. Following Christ. Making disciples. And then there's another statement, man, and it irritates me. That people say, we are not only called to make disciples, but we are called to make disciples who make disciples. And it irritates me because it gives the idea that someone can be a disciple without making disciples. And that's not the case. A disciple is someone that is being discipled and disciples others. Following Christ, it's inevitably what it means. You cannot be a disciple without making other disciples. Just simply not how it works. You see, what we do flows out from who we are. What we do flows out from who we are. The world wants to teach us that what we do leads to who we are. But it's the other way around. Inevitably, who we are will lead to us doing certain things. If you are a teacher, you do what? You teach. If you are an engineer, you do what? You look for problems. But inevitably, who you are will influence what you do. Nesta? She doesn't think so. She has a problem with that, you see. Engineers. But inevitably, you will do what you are. It'll inevitably flow out from that. You see, we read in Acts 11 verse 26 that in Antioch, the the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, meaning little Christ-like ones. These people that remind us of Jesus. I mean, that's quite a statement. These little anointed ones, these, these people that remind us of Christ. And if we say we are Christians, if we can quickly answer that question. Do you think people look at your life, the way you do life, the way you approach certain things, and something in that reminds them of Jesus to be a Christian? It's quite a confronting question. But do the way you live life. Remind people about Jesus. You see, and then again, we get groups of people that say, okay, no, but wait, there's two things. You know, there's the Great Commission and then there's the great commandment. We're more of the great commandment type of people. Love God with everything in you, love your neighbor as yourself. We'll focus on that while there's a different group that focus on the great commission, go therefore and make disciples. But the question is, what does love do? What does love do? When we really really love people, what will we do? We will disciple them. We will tell them about Jesus. If you see someone that is unsaved and you truly love them, Tell them about Christ. If you truly love the people sitting around you, then disciple them. Let's lead one another to follow Christ more. That is what love does. Many times we think that it's supporting people financially, emotionally, physically, whatever the case might be, but what if someone doesn't need financial assistance or emotional support? How do we love them then? We disciple them. If you have kids and you love them and you understand the gospel, what do you do? You disciple them. Like this one photo said, you know, that your child has a 0.9% chance of becoming, of becoming a professional athlete. He has a 100% chance of standing before Christ one day and giving an account of what he did in this earth. Disciple them. If we truly love them, we will disciple them. But with that being said, we need to define a couple of things. Firstly, what is discipleship? What is the goal? Where, where are we aiming towards? What, what do we want to accomplish? What does it mean that we want to be discipled? Where are we growing towards? What is it? Then we also need to define for who is it and how does it happen? And those two go together. Because those for who it is is also how it happens, the people of God. And then thirdly, what do we need for discipleship? Because many times we actually, we know that fact, you know, as we are sitting here, we know that we should grow. We know that we should be discipled. We know that we should make other disciples, but still sometimes we struggle why, why is that you know what is the missing ingredient what is it that we need that enables this process of discipleship so let's read through a passage of scripture and see what we can learn a beautiful passage but we're going to be a bit more devotional tonight not focus on all of it but still important to understand it in its context ephesians 4 from verse 1 to 16 i therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling ...to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descends is the one who also ascends far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Beautiful passage of scripture, long passage of scripture, but not to go through all of it, just to examine a couple of things. Firstly, like I said, what is it? Where are we heading towards? What is the goal? We read it here in verse 13 to 14. And it says, until we all attain... To the unity of the faith, so we should grow in unity of faith. And to the knowledge of the Son of God, we should grow in the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we should mature until we all look like Jesus. Attainable or not, that's quite a goal. Are you with me? That is quite a target. Maybe fitness goals doesn't come near to this. goals. Till we all attain to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is where we are headed towards. And it also gives us the reason why, why it will be beneficial and how we would be able to see so that, for this reason, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So it says, you know, how we can kind of look and see whether we are maturing in Christ, or whether we are growing in unity, whether we are growing in our knowledge of the Son of God, when we are growing in maturity so that we look more like Christ in character and ministry. What Jesus did and in the ways that Jesus did it. We need to be loving, kind, peaceful people, but we should also do the things that Christ actually did. Character and ministry. And how do we know if we are growing in this? We will not, no longer be tossed to and fro. By every window of doctrine. Meaning that, you know, and specifically in these last days, it would be easy to see. Man, there was a lot of conspiracy theories. About a lot of things going on. How did that affect you? Do you find yourselves every now and again being led astray by some kind of strange teaching or doctrine? Going down the rabbit hole. Then you're this way. Then you're that way. Then you're uncertain about this thing. Then you're uncertain about that thing. Because if that is the case, then it shows that there's Immaturity in your discipleship, you need to grow. Well as you've been following Christ, you see that it affects you less. All of these stories and the strange things that people are coming up with. Now specifically in the last times, you know, end time conspiracies or end time teachings, you know, when Jesus is coming back and who the antichrist is and all of that. I was speaking to Henny the other day and we actually laughed a little bit because some of those things are difficult to interpret. Nobody can say exactly how and when these things are gonna take place. It's important, obviously, it's in scripture, so to read that, we need to understand, we need to understand it, but not focus too much on it, amen? And there's a lot of people so consumed by it, you know, and wondering, when is Jesus coming back? How is this going to work? I said, and so then, you know, you just tell people like that, is that we don't know, but one thing I do know, for certain, is that if Christ comes back and he finds you here sitting passively, you are in trouble. I can't tell you that. Doesn't matter when he's coming back, he wants to find you here doing the things that God gave you to do. Blessed is the one that the master finds doing the work that he gave them to do. Amen? That's what we are supposed to be busy with, and that is ministering unto God, ministering unto one another, and reaching the world around us. But we are called to grow in that. And one thing that I just wanna say about this, while this is the goal, it's a very broad goal. Growing in unity, Growing in knowledge, growing in maturity so that we look more like Jesus and do more of the things that Jesus did. It's kind of a broad goal. And the reason why many of us struggle to grow in our Christian walk is because we are not specific and we are not intentional. So we either don't grow at all or at the least not as we should. And I remember speaking to a guy once about New Year's resolutions and he says his resolution for the New Year is just to be better in general. And I thought, well, that's easy and difficult. Because how would you know? If you're not specific, how do you know? And and this is the goal, that all of us should grow until we look like Christ. All of us can say, okay, we need to grow. There's not a single one of us that doesn't need to grow. We all need to grow. We all need to work towards a certain place. And that we can agree on. And even if I ask the question, you know, who wants to grow? I'm sure most, if not all of us, would say we intentionally want to grow. And be more like jesus but if i ask the question where specifically do you want to grow and how do you intend on doing that can you answer that question what specific area what are you working on why are you working on that how do you plan on accomplishing that See, that's the thing it's like rocking up at the gym and not sure what you're going to do you just want to in general be a little bit more fit and stronger It's going to be difficult and you're going to be sore afterwards, everywhere. But what do you want to grow in? How do you accomplish on doing that? We need to be specific. We need to be intentional. And if you don't know and you you want to know where to start, start with the gospel. And ask yourself this question. Can you present the gospel to those around you? Do you understand the gospel and can you communicate the gospel effectively to those around you? like we said the four areas of the gospel problem there has to be a problem for there to be good news and we have the problem as mankind dead in sin, led by the devil destined for the wrath of God then there's the solution Jesus Christ coming to be the solution to the problem but then there's also response we should respond as the Bible tells us to respond empowered by the Spirit responding to the gospel and then there's effect The effect that it has in our lives. Walking again in the will of the Father. Are you able to communicate that effectively to those around you? You see, because that is the foundation of our ministry unto God. That is what the gospel is about. To reconcile us to God. It is the foundation of us discipling one another. It's built on the gospel. And it's also the message we proclaim to the world around us. It is the gospel. It's not the ABC of Christianity. It's the A to Z of Christianity. Everything's about the gospel. And answer that question, are you able to explain to those around you what the gospel is? And if you don't, look to someone around you, go to your small group leader, tell them, hey, walk a road with me for a couple of weeks. Let's define this thing, teach me, it, let's go through scripture together. But at the end of these couple of weeks, I want to be able to communicate the gospel effectively. And I want an opportunity at small group to present it to the small group. I'm gonna stand there, the people are gonna sit and watch and I'm gonna communicate the gospel to them. I'm gonna preach the gospel and ask them for feedback. Did you understand what I said? All four parts, allow them to give you feedback. You know, that thing I didn't understand fully. Maybe use this example or I think you got that thing wrong. Maybe you can do it this way. And some of us are thinking, man, that's intimidating. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that sounds nice. I'd rather give a skip. I'll do the first part you working with someone for a couple of weeks, going through the gospel, really internalizing it, but presenting it to someone. Don't know about that. And I'll get to that in a the reason. There's a reason why that sounds intimidating and there's a reason why we struggle with that, specifically the feedback part. Man, what if I get something wrong and they actually tell me I got that wrong? That's not going to be nice. And there's a reason why it's not nice and we'll get to that in a moment. So that is where we are, what we are working towards. But we need to specify it. We need to be intentional about it. Then secondly, for who is it and how does it happen? Verse 11 to 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So it's for the saints. Who's the saints? All Of us, Every single saved person on this planet, everybody that follows Jesus, every Christian, the saints, the set apart ones. This is something that we all need to do. We all need to be discipled and all of us need to disciple others. You see, sometimes we read this passage and people say, no, this is just a group of people. The fivefold ministry, the apostles, shepherds, evangelists, teachers, they called to do the work of discipleship. No, it says be equipped so that you can equip others. Their work is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What's the work of ministry? Building up the body of Christ. It's receiving ministry to give ministry. And to give us an idea of how that works, say someone comes that's a teacher, so they have the ability to teach well. Take a topic like the gospel, go to scripture, really dig deep into scripture, get the message and present it in a logical and clear way. And maybe for some of us, it doesn't come that naturally. We struggle a little bit more with it. We're still called to study the word of God, still called to dive in, still called to teach what what we learn to those around us. But some people are more gifted in that. So now here comes somebody gifted, and they teach the gospel message to us. Hey, this is the gospel, and this is a logical and clear way to systematically explain it to those around you. Now we have heard the message, so what does it mean? We've been equipped with that knowledge, and we can go and teach it to those around us. But the problem sometimes is, is we don't really listen and focus to also share it with others. We just listen sometimes just to yell, to maybe stir something in us, to focus on a specific area. But we are intentionally called to listen so that we can go and explain it to those around us. Receive to give. But we equip them with that area. Or maybe a pastoral person comes and really shows you And it affects you and you experience what it feels like for someone to care for you, to love you, to be there for you. And you know what it meant to you and so you are still to go and do that for other people as well. Equipped with a certain gift so that you can go and equip others as well. But we are all called to be discipled and also to disciple others. And it happens with people, the people of God. It's where discipleship takes place. And it's a good thing and a bad thing. People will build you up, but people will also break you down. But it will happen with people. The three things that are needed for discipleship is the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. All three things need to be there for us to be discipled, to grow in our faith. That is why you can't watch church at home. You need to be there. And obviously just watching church also goes back to that, you know, the gospel is centered around me idea. I've been saved now and I can just sit in the comfort of my own home, just hear the message and receive whatever I find lovely and I like. But I don't really want to serve other people or lay my life down for them or consider them or minister unto them. What we are called to minister unto people. Big groups and small groups. You need to be surrounded with a group of people to walk this road together. You know, we read in the New Testament and we see this thing taking place, there's different forms of doing church in the temple and house to house. In the temple and house to house. They met in the temple and house to house. And eventually when they get, got kicked out of the temple, they moved to Solomon's Portico, Solomon's Hall, also this big hall where they gathered in big groups but also house to house, in synagogues and house to house. We need both. And people want to separate it. They either want to do big church or they either want to do house church. But we need both. And as we see this process of discipleship, maybe the most important one is the house to house. Get yourself in a small group. You see, because we can just sit here sometimes and receive something, but never be intentional in building relationship. We can only love one another as well as we know one another. We can only help one another as well as we know one another. That happens at small group there's so we many times saying now if you really have to choose you know shut down things are going crazy there is just this amount of time and you really for some reason have to choose i just have a, a couple of hours so i either can go to small group or i either can go to church which one should i choose choose small group i'd rather go to small group if you have to choose if you have to choose rather go to a small group because that's where real life happens. That's where real discipleship happens, where meaningful relationships form. We really get to know one another and we really minister unto one another. Obviously both are helpful and needed and it serves different purposes. But if you have to choose, choose small group. Amen? That's how Jesus made disciples in small groups. He had a small group of 12 people that he actively discipled and reached a a larger group of people when it comes to the crowd or ministering to a group of people, but he made disciples in small group. And we also need to be in a small group and actively be discipled. But now it comes to the what is needed because many times we know this, we get this, understand this, I need to grow, I need to grow in maturity, I need to grow in knowledge, I need to look more like Jesus, understand it happens with people, but sometimes we still go and sit in someone's house and nothing happens. I don't grow. What's missing? What do we need? And we read it here in verse 1 to 3. And it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with, this is what you need, with the following things, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, And the bond of peace. This is what we need for discipleship. You can have all of the other things there. You can be intentional in going to small group, going to church for the rest of your life. But if there's no humility, gentleness, patience and love, no discipleship will take place. And the opposite of these things are actually fighting against discipleship, pride and selfishness. I told my wife yesterday, imagine if you can give the following illustration. So we have a sign-up sheet that you can go and sign up for discipleship. But just to get to the basis of it, what does discipleship mean? What do I do when I sign up for discipleship? What am I communicating? I'm communicating two things. I need to grow and I need help to grow. I, I can't do this on my own. I need people around me. So the lists are there at the back and the headings are, I need help I need to grow. If you are a prideful, selfish person, there is no way you are writing your name on that list. There's no way. You will never even submit yourself to the process of discipleship if there's pride and selfishness in your heart. Humility needs to be there because I need to acknowledge that I need to grow and I need help to grow. And I'll sit in that small group, and I know the things I struggle with, I know my shortcomings, but I won't tell it to the people around me because my pride simply won't let me. And man, someone just better not say that I got something wrong, because then I'm finding a different small group, maybe even a different church. I'll, I'll, I'll move towns if I have to. But pride will make you do funny things. But you won't even start with the process. You see, put those things together and you get what? Teachability. The ability for people around you to actually teach you so that you actually can grow. And we need to be all the more diligent to pursue God and to ask him to work these things in our hearts in light of the culture that we live in. An unteachable culture. Not only very prideful, but also relativism is now all around us. And if you want to go and correct someone or say that whatever they believe is wrong, man, you're the worst person this planet has ever seen. If you go and tell someone no, no matter how hard you believe it, you are not an apple tree. Then all of a sudden you are the worst person around. Near Buta Yes, near Sasani. If you go say that to people, everybody's offended. That's the world in which we live. And also to maybe do some introspection and also just to understand this. There's a lot of areas in life where we may be a little less sensitive to. There's some areas where people come to me and say, hey, no, it's not really like that. Or it actually works this And I'll just be, oh, okay, cool, thanks, fine. I didn't know that. But when it comes to faith, Christianity, the foundation that we build our lives upon, how difficult to acknowledge when we are wrong. How difficult. Because man, we really want to believe this. We really want to believe this is true. This affects everything, not only temporal, but eternal. How much humility needed to accept when we are wrong, when it comes to the way we view scripture, where we view the gospel, we view God. How difficult to accept that. And we need to be open. And maybe to ask us the question, how do you respond when someone comes and corrects you? When was the last time it happened? Just just think about it. You can see it how much it affects you by how long after that conversation you still have conversations with that person in the shower, if you know what I mean. Someone comes, they say something to you, man and you don't like it, and for months and months you're in the shower busy with that conversation. And what you're actually doing is you're justifying yourself. You're busy trying to explain to yourself why you were actually right or why that person wasn't right. And the longer you do that, the more serious the issue was, if you were wondering. But how do you respond when people disagree with you? Maybe you were even right in the conversation, just that conflict. How do you handle it in general? Is there humility, patience? Is there love for one another? And maybe when is that specific people? Man, you get specific people that just irritate you. And the good thing is God acknowledges that in scripture. Bearing with one another in love. There's certain Christians that you're just going to have to bear with in love. Really. You're never really going to like them, but you have to love them, if you know what I mean. And it's okay. We're still called to do life together. It's, it's fine if you don't invite them to the braai, but you still have to be in small group with them, if you get what I mean. You but there are those group of people, but how do you handle that? Maybe there were you sitting. Is there certain things that you're struggling with? That sin that just keeps tripping you up? The answer to your problem is sitting next to you. They just don't know. They just don't know. You're called to tell them, hey, I'm struggling with this. I want to work through this. I want to grow in this area. It's okay, share it with the people around you. Have the humility, the gentleness to go to the people around you, share with them what you're struggling with so that they can walk a road of discipleship with you. Amen? The people are there to help you grow. They just don't know. Tell them so that we can grow together. What if you're sitting there and you're saying, man, this is a tall order. I struggle with humility. I struggle with gentleness, patience. I'm not a teachable person. What do I do? You look to Jesus. You see the middle part of this passage in verse 9 to 10. It says, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And we read in Philippians 2, from verse 1 to 10. You can go and read that on your own. Saying if there's any encouragement in Christ, any sympathy in love, any unity of the spirit, complete my joy by being of one mind, one spirit. Having the same love for one another. Do nothing out of selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility regard those around you as higher than yourself. Looking not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of those around you. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ. Why some translation says that was in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. And being found in human likeness, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, if we struggle with humility, we look to Christ, the holy God of this universe that created everything, that became man and died for us on a cross, the one who descended to the earth. And how can we look upon that and still walk out of there prideful? How can we walk out of that and say, no, I'm unwilling to be formed by this loving God. I'm unwilling to submit myself so that I can be formed into an image that resembles Christ so that I can give glory unto him in this world. That is impossible. And also the opposite is also true. If we begin to struggle with pride as we'll Obviously see every now and again creeping into our hearts. What's the cause? We are taking our eyes off of Christ. We are not continuously looking at the gospel. For holy God coming to humble himself to the point of death. So that we can know him. So that we can serve him. And so that he can make us into fishes of men to glorify his name. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Yes, Lord, thank you, Father, that we can just come and bow down before you, Lord. And thank you, Father, that whatever you call us to do, Lord, or doing this life, Lord, you've set the example. You're not pointing the finger from heaven, Lord, and saying, be humble, submit yourself to a process of discipleship, be obedient, give glory unto my name. No, Lord, you came and modeled that yourself. The holy God of this universe, Lord, becoming man, dying for us, Lord, so that we can know you. And first of all, Father, we want to come and repent, Lord. Repent of our pridefulness, Lord. Repent of our selfishness, Lord. Allowing the culture to shape us, Lord, so unteachable sometimes. Unwilling to heal, Lord. Unwilling to listen. And some of us, Lord, we even know, Lord, that we are walking around with the wrong ideas about certain things, but our pride just won't let us lay that thing down. We repent, Father. We turn to you. We ask you to give us grace, Lord. And some of us, Lord, so unwilling to just speak to the people around us, Father. Some of us, our husband or our wife, they don't even know what we're struggling with. And in our pride, Lord, we struggle on our own. And you are calling tonight, Lord, and saying, let your pride go. Speak to the people around you. Submit yourself to a process where others can speak into your life, where they can bring correction. And with that will come exhortation. People will encourage us as we grow in holiness, Lord. But may we open ourselves up for the good, the bad and the uncomfortable conversations, Lord, that we are supposed to have with one another. And I pray, Lord, for every single person, Father, that their heart is busy pounding, Lord, and in their mind is that thing. For some, that that sin that they struggle with. For some, that area that they need to be transparent to their husband or their wife or to the people around them, Lord. Give us grace, Lord, so that we can obey. And that we can share it with the people around us, Lord. For many of us, Father, that will literally be the last day we struggle with that thing. It's the day we confess. The day we bring it into the light. The day we pray with someone else. And Lord, we also come and repent, Father, of being so quick, Lord, to take offense, Lord. As the scripture says, be eager to maintain the unity in the spirit, Lord. Where We are many times not eager to maintain the unity, Lord we so quickly, Lord, get offended by the people around us, Father, that hurt us or said the wrong thing or acted in a certain way, Lord. And instead of doing what Scripture says, going to them quickly, Lord, and being reconciled, instead we gossip, Lord, and we bring division instead of being eager to maintain unity. And of that, Lord, we come and apologize, Lord. We repent of that, Father. If you are here tonight and God is reminding you of A person that you are not in unity with, a brother or sister, another Christian that you are maybe offended with or that has hurt you or you've hurt them. Go to them quickly. That is what scripture says. When you bring your gift to the altar, when you come to worship God and there you realize that your brother has something against you or you have something against them, leave your gift. Go to your brother and be reconciled quickly. It's not something that you need to pray about. It's just something that you need to obey. God has already said it in his word. Be quick to obey. If you are here tonight and there's a specific thing that you're struggling with, area that you need growth in, area that you need to be transparent about, it's not something that you need to wonder about. God is 10 to 1 revealing to you just there where you stand, as clear as day. Ask God to who you should go. Go to your small group leader. Go to someone in your small group. Go to your husband or your wife, but do so quickly. Do not allow these things to keep you back. Do not allow pride to keep you from growing. Those things will just get worse and worse and worse if we let them linger. Be quick to obey. Now if you're here tonight and you have not been yet slotted into a small group, find yourself a small group, but without it you won't grow. You're not called to grow yeah. You know. Thank you, Lord, for praising certain things on our heart, Lord, and laying certain things on our heart, Father, coming to give leading, Father. And we pray, Lord, that you'd fill us with your spirit and give us grace so that we might be quick to obey. Thank you, Jesus, that you set the example in each and every area. And thank you, Father, for your perfect will. In Jesus' name.